and welcome back to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm Jude. How you doing, Trey? Well, I'm really excited uh, because, you know, we're bulk recording. Uh, we just wrapped up doing an episode before, and we're doing another one now, and it, it honestly feels so good to slowly but surely getting back onto our schedule uh, and having buffer episodes. Yeah. It, you know what? Not just having, uh, getting back to a schedule that we were hoping to have, but doing the Iron Man 3 review. So mm-hmm. close to Iron Man 2. I'm really yeah. happy of having those come out fairly close together. Mm-hmm. That was something that we talked about in our meta episode where we were still trying to figure out this cadence that we had with delivering these full-length movie reviews. And it does feel nice because it, it feels like we can kind of draw parallels between things we were discussing in that one and this one and so on. Yeah. Well, and I was excited about getting on to this one um, after <laughs> I almost said the word debacle, <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but after after the review of Iron Man 2, I was excited to move it on to the next film, you know, mm-hmm. um, just to be fair, I'm excited to moving on to the next film after that, you know, just kind of look at it. We were talking about, man, what doing the, the three cap films, uh, Hulk, you know, my oldest daughter's pushing for Captain Marvel and... <laughs> Ant-Man and the Wasp, actually, is the one she's calling for. Those two. And Black Panther. Those three, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just... It's 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 awesome to be doing another movie again. Yeah. And we're finally working our way through them. But uh, what about you? How are you? Again, it, it always feels weird to ask it after having just asked it, like, 45 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Like, I'm, you know, second Topo Chico of the recording in. I'm becoming an advertisement. One of these days, somebody from Topo Chico is going to hear it and like sponsor mm-hmm. us because I'm just giving them all kinds of product placement. Not that they need it, but... What you need to do is start being like, all right, Topo Chico, unless you start sponsoring me, I'm going to exclusively start drinking that Pierre mineral water <laughs> until they start throwing money your way. You know what? I could, um, but I, I can't follow through on that threat. <laughs> well, not if you tell them. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. Okay, so this is going to have to be part of our promo, and we're just going to tag them. On, Perfect. Uh, on Twitter. That's, that's how that's, social media works. We got to do this. Yep. That's the plan. <laughs> oh, man. But And nothing against you, Pierre. I know a lot of people that drink Pierre as well. It's just not for me. You're not the mineral rattle crack that is Topo Chico. But speaking of engagement, uh, here at the top of the show, we do want to take some time to say, if you haven't already, we would greatly appreciate it if you took some time and left a review or star rating for our podcast on the platform of choice. Uh, doing so not only helps us make a better show, but it helps us with searchability when it comes to the various podcast platforms. So, uh, yeah. We'd greatly appreciate that. Absolutely. Uh, You know, and if you're enjoying what you're listening to, um, whether it's your first time or, you know, a return listener, please share with a friend. Yeah. But of course, that brings us to the meat of today's episode, which is our review of Iron Man 3. So as we've done so far with the previous two movie reviews, I just want to break down the way that we are breaking down this movie. So uh, we're going to be focusing on the three acts. So act one is going to be the beginning of the movie to the destruction of Tony's home. Act two will be when he crash lands in Tennessee all the way to his second panic attack on the side of the road. And finally, act three begins with his shopping spree all the way to the end of the movie. All right. Well, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into act one. Yeah. I got to say... Starting Iron Man 3 with Eiffel 65 has got to be the hardest swerve I think we've ever had in any Marvel movie. 
<laughs> you think so? <laughs> I think so. I was not expecting that whatsoever, especially because the way it starts so dramatic where where Tony's kind of doing this voiceover and you're seeing his suits being exploded. And he's like, okay, let's start from the beginning. And then you hear the Eiffel 65 song start playing. Well, I, I give you that. But what I loved about this beginning mm-hmm. is he starts with a quote, right? This a famous once said, we create our own demons. Don't know who said it, but because he said it, I said it. And now two famous people said it and all that stuff. Um, and clearly, like, they want you to associate the suits with the demons, right? Because mm-hmm. he's saying that line and the suits are exploding. But what I love about it is the number of times I have a student in a paper that start with a quote that they don't know. I mean, outside of the fact that they looked it up, they don't know who that was that said it. Uh-huh. And the original context in which with its in which it was said. You're describing just, me to a T. <laughs> but it just sounds good. Uh-huh. Like, like like the number of times that happens, like I'm just like, oh, and, <laughs> and that's, okay, A, stop. Uh, but B, like th- have Tony like kind of do it and just like kind of admit the ridiculousness of it. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know who said it, but but they said it and they were famous. So I'm going to say it. Like, like it was, I, I loved that kind of, you know, like I know this is ridiculous, but I'm doing it anyways. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, Tony a lot of times, right? It's it's almost like stumbling through without weighing, like you said, the context, but it still fits anyway. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's Tony. So as we're talking about this 1999 flashback, obviously we've seen you know Tony at a party in Switzerland. He's being the chauvinist that he is, and and we're seeing different callbacks from here and there. And I think the thing that I really liked about this opening, as much of a swerve as it is, is, you know, in Iron Man 2, we talked a lot about how it felt like there was a regression in Tony's character from the first one to the second one. Yeah. I don't think this was intentional, but in Iron Man 3, it almost feels like it's poking fun at that, like how they leaned a little too hard on Tony's regression in the second one. Mm-hmm. And it works because it's regulated to just this opener of showing just right. how sleazy he is, how he doesn't take anything seriously, and and the way yeah. he the way he leaves Killian up on the roof, just stuff, little stuff like that that uh, epitomizes the character that Tony used to be. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I like that you bring that up. That that this it, this beginning felt very efficient, mm-hmm. um, in a good way, right? Like you. Even the use of the song, while it was kind of this weird swerve that you said, mm-hmm. um, when you stop and think about the lyrics and the the color blue, and a lot of times the color blue can mean sadness, you know, mm-hmm. like hey, I'm feeling down, I'm feeling blue, or, or you know, and and so to have that kind of contrast of like of like him being this larger than life, and but but you see it's that like we talked about with Iron Man one, but there's still just emptiness behind that right and not a lot of depth mm-hmm. uh i really i actually got that out of that use of the song and so i really loved that use of the song so it's just you get this upbeat song larger than life tony but it's all empty still and you get set up with maya right like right you get the hey i don't like to be handed things so he gets handed two cards you know you can tell in the way she acted it like she was intrigued with what killian had to say Mm-hmm. Um, or Aldridge Killian had to say. So, like, it was just a really good setup all the way through. And they had Yinsen. I had all, yeah. like, exclamation point, Yinsen. <laughs> that was such a delightful callback. Yeah, 
Yeah. I, I think you're spot on. It definitely was such an efficient start to the the movie overall. And I'll say this, another thing that I want to touch on while we're here in this flashback. Happy needs his own spinoff of the mullet and being Tony's bodyguard in the early days. That was... I could not stop laughing at all the little things he was doing. Like <laughs> when Maya told him to stop messing with the plants, like just the look on his eyes, like of the, can you believe this? Like it's just a plant. And then he just starts fluffing it. What I love about the the look though, it reminded me of Vincent Vega from Pulp Fiction. Oh, <laughs> oh man. When did that come out? Uh, Pulp Fiction was, because this is 93. 94? Oh, man. I would have loved to believe the canon that Happy was modeling his look after that. <laughs> yeah, it was 1994. Okay. The timeline is 1994. Oh, well. Another time. Maybe. Maybe. I'm going to go with it. <laughs> it's now official MC You Need to Know canon. That's what happened. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's that's exactly what he was doing. Oh, uh, but yeah, so I just, I love that to bring up Vincent. But I checked the time. It was under five minutes and they had all of that set up. The two villains, right? And like he says the line, I created demons and they're visually showing Killian and Maya, right? Mm-hmm. And even the next morning when he leaves, you know, you have Maya, have the shot of Maya looking over her shoulder, like looking back at somebody. But that was also juxtaposed, maybe is the right word. Um, in other words, editing wise, it was meant to feel like she was looking back at Aldridge, Killian. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just the setup was so beautiful. And the only reason why I keep kind of driving that point is we talked about in Iron Man 2. They had this kind of opening setup, but it just didn't, it didn't successfully set up the rest of the movie the way this did. Right. It, it almost feels like a return to the way the first film set it up. I mean, I think that's something that we always kind of zone in on is how economical the movie can get going in those first yeah. five minutes. Because I yeah. think the more work you can do in those first five minutes, you can just ride that wave of the energy going forward. Yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned about the plant. Happy plucks a leaf off the plant and they specifically show you that it grew back. And specifically, you had the lines of like, hey, here's the glitch. So you know it's not perfect. You know something's wrong with it. You have the explosion and you have that little funny moment where, you know, Happy dives on Tony. But when he leaves, the camera lingers and you get to see the little explosion where the plant was. And here, I feel it's like a mess up. And we'll talk about this later in the movie. You got to see there was a shadow, I think, of the plant on the Mm -hmm. wall. Yeah. From what some of the stuff they say in the other move down the line and other scenes, there should not have been a shadow of the plant on the wall because it was the plant that exploded. But in the beginning of a movie, though, they're giving you all this information. Yeah. You know, the camera lingers. They're showing you the aftermath of the plant exploding. You know, it, it, you get everything you need. Mm-hmm. It's very educational. So you were talking about the way that it transitions with Maya looking over her shoulder. Uh, I think specifically Tony has a line where he says, you know who I am. And it comes to present day where Tony is in his uh, garage. You can see that he's tinkering with stuff. And specifically, he's doing a test with a new suit that can be recalled to him from a distance. First things first, this is a Christmas movie. And it I think it's the only Christmas yes. movie that we have in the MCU. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Well, the thing is, is Shane Black, writer-director, mm-hmm. a lot of his movies take place in Christmas. Mm-hmm. So it, it is a Christmas movie. Yeah, it's a nice signature. And it and it feels even though it came out in July, which kind of feels weird, it it feels nice to kind of have that holiday feel in the MCU 
because it, it's it's a rarity. I don't think we have any other holiday themed ones. I know, but if you, I mean, hey, we planned it right though. This is leading into December. What is November thirtieth? Man, are we good or what? <laughs> I know, I know. We're we're planning. Got to get the Christmas uh, movies in the Christmas season. <laughs> but. Uh, Joking aside, the thing I do definitely wanted to focus in on here is something that I don't think that I appreciated the first time I watched this is obviously this movie is an examination of Tony's PTSD and his anxiety issues. And that was something that I wasn't totally prepared for. Uh, the trailers probably set it up, but I I think even at the time, I probably wasn't well-versed on it enough to really understand it. And so I remember watching this and thinking like, okay, this is this is a little silly, but it's fun. But the benefit of a rewatch shows just how manic Tony is in this beginning part. Oh, because, yeah. yes, the dancing is fun. Uh, but Jarvis yeah. has that line where he says something like, you've been awake for 72 hours. You know, even as he's moving around in his garage, he's, like, practicing self-defense moves on a mannequin. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's even though it's still fun because Robert Downey Jr. is charismatic, it, it almost, I, it's almost sad in a way. In a way that oh, I wasn't yeah. expecting on this re- revisit. You're right. It has a really good balance of that fun-loving, carefree Tony, and not in 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 a way that like he. You can clearly say he's developed. We haven't mentioned this yet, but this movie does in the MCU timeline take place after Avengers. Yes. Right. And and so a lot of this PTSD, all of the stuff is stuff he's dealing with, really after that math of that movie. You know, and, and our choice of just, oh, we're going to put these three together. Mm-hmm. Um, so we haven't looked at that yet, but we're very much, it's I think it's fair game to reference, you know, the stuff that happens in the Avengers. And so he is clearly, you get, like we said, very quickly where he was in a very short span of time character-wise. And not just the growth from there, but the growth and ramifications that that he's dealing with from the Avengers. So it was a really well-balanced scene in that way. Because mm-hmm. it has this feel of, you know, for the first two Iron Man movies, he's gotten through. But the Avengers, like, woke him, woke him up to a threat that it's almost like it's almost like watching somebody to bring this back to a school setting watching someone do last minute studying before a test like they're cramming right. like tony's learning how to be self-defensive in a way that he's never had to before oh, and it's yeah. yeah that's that's the feeling that i walked away from in this early opening scene yeah well okay i like that you brought that up like he never had to before um because it's setting it up right like he's relied on his suits mm-hmm. all the way through and i think after joining the Avengers, right? That kind of prompted him to, okay, I need to know more, right? Because mm-hmm. um, I, I have more threats that I have to be ready for. Now, I do want to say I made a mistake in the Iron Man 2 review. I called it Terminus. <laughs> Terminus is in Walking Dead. It's Extremis. Um, but I do want to bring that up because the triangle arc reactor looking thing came out of the Extremis armor suit from the comic. Mm-hmm. But the extremist armor in the comic, this is a little bit closer to what the comic was. Uh So the extremist armor, the best way to describe it would be it's nanotech and would come on to Stark the way, think, Infinity War did. Okay. Mm -hmm. But it was like implanted, not into housing, like in his chest, like it was there. It was implanted in this, like this housing, like in his very bones. And it would like come out of his skin and so in this way, those skin implants was kind of their way of having the extremist armor 
and mm-hmm. borrowing the extremist, you know, storyline. So I've looked into it a little bit before just out of curiosity of all the different suits Tony's had in the comics. What was the difference between the extremists and the Bleeding Edge suit? If you know, I don't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, you just put me on the spot. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> okay, I'm just looking at it. Just a quick Google. Uh, it's an upgrade. Upgrade to the extremists by Mr. Fantastic. So extremists was the groundwork to Bleeding Edge? It's 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 basically like an upgrade. Okay. That's cool. I was just okay. curious to know. So after we get that scene of Tony testing out the new suit, this is where we get our first Mandarin intro, which I do want to open up with it's a direct question to you because I, I was trying, but I couldn't find a significance of it. But I found it very interesting that both Tony and the Mandarin use the phrase, you know who I am. In Tony's case, I understand it's, it's a deflection of, you know, he's always relied on his ego to get him through hard situations. So it feels like a deflection, but I couldn't quite figure out why they would have the Mandarin use the same quote. I think it's a, it's a hint. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think okay. it's a hint to that we've already met Aldridge Killian. Oh, okay. Because that's, that's what I noticed on this rewatch. Like, they dropped hints through here that I, that I was able to kind of grab that the Mandarin isn't the Mandarin, you know, or right. the Ben Kingsley's not playing the Mandarin. I know a lot of people that didn't like this. Um, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. You know, I mm-hmm. the, the twist. I was one of the originally who didn't like it, but I've come to love it. <laughs> Yeah, I I enjoyed the twist, but I, I do. I, I think that's a hint. On the topic of hints, I think that makes sense because even in this first act, after after Tony is really doing his research on the Mandarin, I think right after he attacks Happy or the explosion that Happy gets caught in, you know, Tony's going through like uh, news reports on the Mandarin and he makes a comment. It's like, oh, you know, uh, it's got a sense of pageantry, uh, uh, a thing for theatrics. And it's a yeah. line that you don't think about until after you've seen the reveal. Oh, absolutely. Like, that was that was the other one. That's a hint. Mm-hmm. Another thing I think that line's for is I, I feel like you get two things going on with this movie. One that we already talked about was the Shane Black's idea of pulling Iron Man out of the suit. Mm-hmm. Or Tony. Tony. See, I, I just... To, to give you an idea, like, Tony is Iron Man, right? Right. And the, to pull Tony out of the suit and wrestle with that question. Also, what I love about this movie is Shane Black taking this terrorist iconography and spinning it on its head. You know, like there's this Western American movie vocabulary that we know and people, filmmakers all the time use stereotypes because it helps them tell a story quickly. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the bad guy. That's this. And part of that getting us to, to buy into it is not just, oh, it's the Mandarin, but it's using that terroristic motif, you know, that that you can put together of these videos and the types of acts, um, the weaponry they're using, all, all of those things. And and so that line, like, you know who I am, is this weird sense of like playing into that. Mm-hmm. deep subconscious iconography that we associate with uh but also to realize that the terror is domestic you know mm-hmm. like i you know who i am because it's it's you it's it's domestic where it's coming from uh mm-hmm. so I, I think it serves those purposes as well i like that read a lot yeah that makes sense and you talk about how it it takes that terrorism iconography to kind of use this shorthand um of terror or our fascination with terrorism i guess with our the american media 
And I think that is 100% a commentary that Shane Black is trying to make with this movie because in the narrative, I mean, look what the response is. You know, they take War Machine and they rebrand it as the Iron Patriot and they have it all decked out in red, white, and blue. And it's even called out by Tony talking about how silly it is. I think you said it just right when you said rebranding because my note was, you know, and I circled the word messaging, you know, like uh, as Don Cheadle. Um, Rody said, well, you know, it sends a softer message. Uh, so that idea of worrying about the message, worrying about the branding, looking at fo- focus groups. So it, it's like taking that view from it. It's really, th- it was really interesting to me. Like that's the direction they took. And you had the media commentators, you know, kind of making fun of it, which I thought was really appropriate as well, because it is this weird sense of what we kind of do in our culture our fascination and fixation on it, which plays really well with Tony's fixation. Right. It's, it's, it's a really smart pairing of the storylines with, with uh, Shane Black and the writers for this film. Oh, yeah. But speaking of that fixation, this is the scene in the movie where we get our first panic attack with Tony, and it's really starting to underline this, this undercurrent of what's wrong, where, you know, Rhodey and Tony are having this discussion and... and, and and Tony's like, okay, come on, you know, give me the details. What's going on? And and Rhodey's pushing back because it's classified. But eventually he gives in. You know, Rhodey's trying to explain to him, like, hey, this is, you know, this is this isn't superhero stuff. This is this is American homeland stuff. You know, you don't need to worry about it. And Tony's first reaction right. is like, Oh, come on, man, I've got these new suits, I've got these gadgets, you know, come on, let me in. Yeah. So right there, that is the movie signifying its underlying problem with Tony, where he's jumping into this problem in over his head, but thinking he's fine because he's built a solution to problems that he doesn't know yet. Right. Well, you know what? It's it's interesting. There's so like these little subtle hints, like he tries to sign the little drawing and he breaks the crayon and actually says, help me, <laughs> the way he signed mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just imagine that kid getting it and says, help me. Um, and then when he runs out to get checked, it was still the old armor. Mm-hmm. It was all, it was still damaged armor. And so like, so like he's, I loved it. He's having this panic attack and he thinks he's poisoned or he's, or something's wrong with him. But even on the outside, like that, the armor is damaged, which is just, it, I, I loved it. I thought it was a nice touch um, because he is a, as we know, he's been tinkering with all these other armors you know and that's just even if you didn't see that at the beginning he's tony stark like he, he's gonna make another upgrade you know mm-hmm. uh and so so to have the damage the damaged armor i thought was a really nice touch to that oh yeah i, I think you and i are in sync because i'm going to read my notes verbatim uh this is regarding him going out to do the diagnostic uh, finally, him escaping to his suit to do a diagnostic visually is great because the suit has always been his shell. But the fact that it's the battle damaged suit from the Avengers is just icing on the cake. God, this movie's so good. Yeah, yeah, it was just, so, oh man. He's broken all and, the way around. He is broken. Yeah, the thing that saved him is no longer making the cut anymore. Right, and that's the thing about it. What I loved about this is it's he's broken, but it's not, go back to that, track back a little bit to Iron Man 2, where it was like, you didn't feel like he's learned anything going into Iron Man 2. You kept going back to that, and you were right, from Iron Man 1, you know? And it, it just felt like, well, you didn't learn anything, right? And here, he's broken, but it's not a, like, I'm a billionaire playboy broken. It is, you know, that PTSD. And 
where is my place in the world? Um, and I think he has a line coming up, but where is my place in the world among people like Thor and Hulk and, mm-hmm. you know, and Cap and all and all of them? I do want to circle back real quick because uh, just something that I wanted to, to really zone in on, you know, we talked about how um, him breaking the crown was the, the tipping point that sent him to, you know, flying outside to his suit. I think the thing that I loved and made this so relatable was the way that he takes ownership of I broke the crown. I mean, and I think this this is such a great look at anxiety in that it's a crown. That's all he did was just it was a crown that broke. But in the moment, it was so heightened because of everything that he's dealing with that to be that to let that be the thing that tips him off. I thought there was a really nice attention to detail. Oh, yeah. So I love that little moment. It's like, oh, I loved your Christmas story, by the way. Um, you know, but the the way they had that kid say, you know, or ask about the wormhole was just they did it in such a creepy way where they had that kid lean in and whisper. Uh, it, it was that whole sequence was really good. I agree. So in a continuation of like what I mentioned earlier about just being that um, efficient, right, in storytelling, we get to see Aldrich Killian again. Um, but it's, I think the way they shot it was like just as much of a shock for us as it was for Pepper, you know, cause she mentioned, Hey, I don't want to see him. You know, it's Aldridge Killian. I've known him for a while and we know who that is from the beginning and you see the changes. And so I think Pepper's reaction was our reaction, but there was one little line mm-hmm. he said in there where he mentioned, and he kind of did it in air quotes where he had to like avoid the government's problems with the technology he was trying to develop, you know? And and I just liked that mm-hmm. line because it was a clear signal of like, man, you don't have any regard for morals. You're, you're going to do right. whatever it takes. And mm-hmm. then when you had uh, Savin, the way he was sitting, and not just like, oh, I'm not wearing the badge, but like to just blatantly in a corporate Stark Industries office, the way he's sitting kind of props up his uh, leg like he doesn't care, you know, and all of that. Like, that was really good, really fantastic. And just little bits of moments of character. Like, you get an idea of, of, of who they are very quickly. Yeah, this movie is great at using its visuals to tell its story. Mm-hmm. While we're in this section, I do want to say it's it's not enough because I don't think the movie delves into it deep enough. But I think one of the things that I took away from this movie, you know, Tony having the line, we create our own demons. And I think the way that the characters that it's examining do that is the way they're so fixated on their work. I love the parallels between the way Happy was so overprotective of Tony in 1999 and the way he's so overprotective of Pepper here in the present day. Uh-huh. It's just, it's, it's its own little like examination of that through Happy. Yeah. It just, it, it was so funny to me the way they did that. Just the way that he was so overly strict about the badges and like, I think Pepper had a line just like, yeah, complaints are up 300%. And he's like, thank you. Like he just, like he doesn't understand. Yeah. Doesn't understand. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I like his line. Oh, well, well, it was just embarrassing when I tell people I'm Iron Man's bodyguard. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're off running around with the super friends. <laughs> oh, man. So good. So I think, again, um, not necessarily to do the scene by scene. It's going to be hard for me on this movie because I do enjoy this one so much. I think this next scene does push forward this this theme. We get to see more of Stark and his... Well, I mean, it, put it in the 
the hero's journey and, and the story circle that we've talked about in other episodes setting up kind of his fall that he has to overcome within this movie. Like we get, we get more of that in this next sequence. So I think specifically this is the scene where he's doing his suit test, where um, it's revealed that he's down in his garage, but Pepper's interacting with the suit upstairs, not realizing that he's not in it. Right. And for so long, we've seen this idea of Tony's identity be examined in these films. I mean, we've, we've, we've hammered this point up pretty thoroughly, you know, is Iron Man the suit or is it the man in the suit? And it's really nice that we're getting to really dive headfirst into it in this one. And I think the thing that stuck out to me the most was, you know, the way Pepper makes her way down to the garage seems playful. Like we've seen, we've seen Pepper do that thing where she kind of like plays into Tony's charms a bit, but obviously we know she sees right through it. And so something I didn't pick up until now is that when she finally gets down to the garage, the look on her face is not surprise. It's like, it's upset like this she's used to this like this is something that tony's been doing repeatedly to her right um and i think that right there is a great illustration of how fixated tony's been lately even if we haven't gotten to spend the time with tony and pepper she's not new to this behavior right um you're right it almost like she has this feeling like or it's almost like this feeling like they've talked about it and discussed it or he made some kind of promise and he's just broken it yeah, that's a really good, yep. really good catch there. Um, mm-hmm. What you know, what I loved about it, the, like they show him using the suit outside of the suit, right? So mm-hmm. it's like it's like yes, you don't need to be in the suit to use it, and 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 mm-hmm. we see that. But here's where the scene where he utters the line, "I'm just a man in a can," you know, while mm-hmm. literally you're not in it, you know. So it's like he hasn't he hasn't quite learned yet that. That it's him, you know, um, and then they discuss what the suit is, right? Like, what is it? Is it a part of him? Because um, that's what he says: is that they're a part of me. Pepper says no, they're just machines, and then she says no, they're distractions. You know, like distracting mm-hmm. her him from the larger issues that he's that he's dealing with. And so you get mm-hmm. a lot there in this scene. Um, again, from what you just said of the the reaction on her face, it's not surprised. You know, so so a lot's packed into this scene, pushing forward those themes of, you know, the, basically identity. What is it? You know, what? Who am I, Stark? Now, you know that that I've ventured down this road um, mm-hmm. after after the Avengers. I mean, and even to drill down in a little bit more, they had an exchange that I loved, where you know when Pepper gets down there, she goes, "You ate without me already on date night," and Tonya responds, "You know, he was just," and she cuts him off and says, "You mean you." So, yeah. again, with the way this movie is just wonderfully playing with its visuals, they're separating the man and the suit with this neural controlled link. But because this is so good, they almost make the suit its own character with the way that, you know, they're having their argument. And Pepper, I think it was when Tony accuses Pepper of like flirting with Killian and the suit just turns and looks at her almost like with shame. Yeah. But of course, it's just a suit. Yeah. So there's no possible way. But in that moment, they did so much with just the visuals. And I loved yeah. it. Oh, the the turn of the suit was just great because like I, I'm just imagining... Well, you well you you said it right. They're trying to separate the two. It's imagining. So did Tony turn his head to make it like? But I I didn't think in those terms, right? I didn't like imagine mm-hmm. that. Oh, Tony's turning his head to make the suit look at her. You know, I'm imagining the suit from what we see. Like I that that didn't even enter my brain. It just oh, the suit turned. She turned and looked. You know, and and she really felt like she was interacting with another party. 
you know. Um, and mm-hmm. it was just so well done right there. I think everything in this scene is almost a precursor to what we saw in Avengers Endgame where the Ancient One splits Banner from Hulk. Yeah. Which is its own rabbit hole to go down, but it's kind of like that same examination that we saw there. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Another thing that I wanted to really touch on here is, again, we, we've hammered home before how Tony's garage is his safe place. This is where he opens up the most. And I think in this scene in particular, because I think Pepper's storming off, she's mad, and Tony's like, okay, hold on, hold on. Pepper, I'm not right. And like he lists all the reasons that he's not sleeping, and he opens up. And, you know, we see that New York has shaken him to his core. Right. And, and I mean, because he even says he's trying to protect the one thing he cares about, which is her. And so, I mean, look, I mean, even when Pepper exposes him, what is he doing? He's doing pull-ups and reading information on the Mandarin. So, I guess to circle back, like, I love that this story is having this parallel of Tony's fixation and America's media constant focus on terrorism. Yeah. You know what? It's, I'm going to save this thought. Okay. <laughs> Let's keep moving. I'm going to save this thought. Uh, but you're right. He it continues with this idea of obsession. Um, earlier, he was in the beginning. He was practicing like his little his new moves that he learned. Here, he's doing another physical activity, doing pull ups. Um, he just he can't stop. He can't. Well, mm-hmm. let's go to Ingen. He can't rest. You know, he he can't rest yet. And you know this this is something that's just coming to me, so it's not fully baked. But we're almost seeing this piling on. So at the beginning, it's, you know, he's working on his suits and he's practicing martial arts. Now, in this scene, he's practicing, he's working on his suits, he's practicing martial arts, and he's researching the Mandarin. So it's, and it's like Tony needs to get to this point where he realizes he is Iron Man in and out of the suit and with the suit, whatever way he decides to use it. But that doesn't free him up to do more work. That should free him up to be the self. Right. And right now, all we're seeing is him just piling on more work to himself, if that makes sense. No, no, it, it makes a lot of sense. And and just to finally, to put a bow on it, I, I think this scene in particular solidifies why I think Robert Downey Jr. is the perfect Tony Stark. Yes, the fun side of him, the wit, the charm, and you know a little bit of the misogyny of the way he plays that, and still somehow is able to get away with it. You know that's all the fun aspects that Robert Downey Jr. brings to Tony Stark. But this vulnerability, like the way he flips back and forth, is just really, really good acting on his part. Yeah. Well, I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit, and I know we're going to need a backtrack. But off of that, mm-hmm. when Maya Hansen shows up, right, and she's like. Uh, I need I need to talk to you right now. I need you right now, but it can't be here. And he looks at her and he's like, well, at one time I would have went for that, but now I'm in a relationship mm-hmm. with her and the bags drop. And so there was this, there was this recognition that like you've grown, like, you know, and we, and we mm-hmm. saw that and kind of talked about that with some problems of Iron Man too, of like you from Iron Man one should have grown a little bit past what you're doing here. And you didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in this movie, they they acknowledge that. Yeah, like, yeah. At one time, that was me, but not now. It's the growth we should have seen in the second film. Yes, I am aware. I'm pretty high on this movie. Obviously, it, I mean, it's in my top five, so it's going to be hard not to constantly praise this movie. But in fairness, I will say this. So, granted, like I said, we're only getting a slice of the picture here, and with PTSD and anxiety, it's an issue that is so large and hard to tackle that I think any movie's going to have trouble with it. And, you know, I feel like we're not even getting the entire picture of Pepper and Tony. But I will say it felt jarring to me that, you know, 
they reconcile a bit. You know, they had that line where they're going to go upstairs. Uh, they're in bed. They have that scene where the suit attacks Pepper, and Pepper storms off and said, I'm going to go sleep downstairs. Tinker with that. That line in particular stuck out with me because it felt needlessly mean. It, we just had a scene where Tony opened up, probably the most he's ever opened up before, and it felt weird to have that turn from Pepper. Again, like I said, I'm sure there's more things that we don't see in the text that Pepper's been dealing with. Right. I just wish there would have been a little bit more to help get us from Pepper reconciling to Pepper saying something so vicious, if that makes sense. No, it does. It does. I wonder if there's a deleted mm-hmm. scene or something in there. Um, but you did hint at it already. Of Not hint at it. You said it uh, already where the look on her face wasn't surprise. It was... Mm-hmm. You know, how could you be doing this again? We've talked about this kind of kind of thing. Uh, so maybe they're leaning into that. Um, I get what you're saying. I, I don't know if I felt that. I don't know if I felt that when she said it. And, and mainly because it's like that's a thread that they pull through, right? Mm-hmm. Where he talks about, I do these things. I tinker. Later, we'll see he calls himself the mechanic. And that's what he does. He tinkers. And that's and that's kind of his weird, not weird way, but like it's what he's always been about, you mm-hmm. know? And and so I, I feel like the line there was to just reinforce that idea. Like he's the mechanic, he's the yeah. tinkerer. I, I guess just to kind of sum up my feelings, there's a million reasons why Pepper is justified in being upset. It just It's weird to me that she would use the thing that he was vulnerable about against him. Yeah. that I think that's my issue with the yeah. line. Now- I I think that's I think that's fair, I do think that's fair. Mm-hmm. I want to backtrack just one thing. I skipped ahead, so I want to jump back a little bit because I skipped the scene with the Man Chinese Theater. We get another Mandarin video. Uh, you've already mentioned, and I'm glad you mentioned it because the whole the clue, right? And that that comes 30 minutes into the movie. Uh, he says the line, "Lots of pageantry, lots of theater." You bring you bring that up, but then they also they mix cultures. You know, they talk about the the Mandarin being an ancient Chinese war mantle, advisor to the king. You know, so right there, mm-hmm. you, you notice, like, the Mandarin as a mantle is an advisor to the king, so they're not really the one in charge. And then the mixing of cultures with South American insurgency tactics, talks like a Baptist preacher. So it's not clearly, again, the the typical iconography you get for terrorist is that Middle Eastern guerrilla videos, guerrilla tactics that you that that they're showing, but this is an amalgamation of vastly different cultures, and the mm-hmm. Mandarin meaning you know advisor to the king, not even the king himself. They gave a lot of clues into that, and there was a neat product product mm-hmm. placement when they said Oracle Cloud. <laughs> well, it just was. I mean, Oracle. I, my dad works for Oracle, so you know, and so when we saw this in the theater together, anytime there was an Oracle product placement, he's like, yeah, that, you know, I, I help work on those things. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fun tie-in. I didn't know yeah. that. That's cool. So, you know, we're in this space where Tony, you know, we had the scene where Happy's in the hospital and as he's coming out of it, you know, he gets cornered by these reporters and Tony does something dumb. I, I He gives his address to the Mandarin because he has that scene where he's like, all right, I just decided you're dead. I'm going to come collect the body. If you're man enough to take me, here's my address. That, all that scene. And, you know, I think this is one of the common complaints that I've seen with this movie is that it doesn't make sense how up until this point, Tony's been worrying about the things that he can't protect. 
so why would he turn around and like invite the danger to his home? Mm-hmm. And I can see that. What I fall back on is that anxiety isn't rational, which feels like the simplest answer. But what I came back to is like so far we've seen that Tony's been dealing with his stress by constantly having answers to everything with the stuff that he builds. So even if we take it at face value and not attribute this decision to the irrationality of anxiety, from Tony's point of view, this is just him solving the problem. It's wrong, but he thinks he's solving it, which I think is very in line with Tony's character, not only in these first two films, but, you know, things we see him do in Age of Ultron and so on. Yeah. I, I like that you have an explanation for it that works in film, just because mm-hmm. that is one thing where it's just like, it for me, it does feel like, okay, I need some kind of story element to get to this scene, and so this is what I'm going to do. Um, I also feel like the, the way they, I feel like there was supposed to be something more with the guy who asked the question mm-hmm. and the, and you took the cell phone from like that, that mm-hmm. I feel like there wasn't some, like we were supposed that was supposed to pay off in some other way that didn't. Um, I mean, let's be mm-hmm. honest, it's Tony Stark. Like people knew his address before, yeah, you know, um, and we're talking the Mandarin and Aldrich Killian, they know where Tony Stark lives. They didn't need him to give the mm-hmm. address. And, right. and so that's why I say it felt like story for the audience to make that believable, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like that whole sequence of why Maya would show up, why the helicopters would be there, you, you know? And, and so that gives it a built-in reason story-wise. And But I, to your point, I think I think it does fit uh what you're saying of just to say oh this is the quick fix and that's what i'm going to look for and also too i mean if we want to step into the meta aspect of it having with with anxiety you already feel like you owe everyone answers so at least my own personal relationship with anxiety it always feels like it's this you're cornered and everybody needs an explanation and it's all dependent on you and so with tony being the large social figure he is having the media corner him like this it feels like a great way again to use the macro to explain the micro. So the way that he is being forced to give an answer when he doesn't really need to by the media, and then he follows it up with like, okay, is this what you wanted? Like, it's almost like that's him lashing out. Like, of course it's not going to make sense because this is a very vulnerable moment for him. Oh, yeah. It, mm-hmm. it really is. I mean, he's coming out of the hospital where he's visiting Happy. And so it, it's very much an emotional reaction. Mm-hmm. So all that brings us to the last sequence of the first act where Tony gets cornered in his home, the Mandarin finally strikes... Uh, and we're watching as everything is crumbling around Tony. And I think one of the things I wanted to make sure that I jumped out and be fair about is, you know, I critiqued Iron Man 2 for being over the top with its action. And I don't feel like I can get away without saying that some of these scenes with the house just destroying and falling down doesn't feel over the top. So I kind of like took a moment to really search my own feelings of why I felt like it didn't work in Iron Man 2 and it worked here. And I think it's because even though it is over the top, this action sequence is still hammering home that idea that it's trying to explore about like, oh, you know, what is Tony? Is it the suits or is it him himself? And the fact that the suits aren't fully functional and he's again relying on his wit to take down the the helicopters, I think that's why I was able to forgive how over the top a lot of this felt. Yeah. Well, a couple of things. Continued showing of growth, right? Mm -hmm. He saves Pepper first. You know, um, he well, saves, he puts the armor on Pepper first. Uh, Pepper gets Maya out. Um, so he's doing this outside of the armor. Um, he gets the armor back 
right? And I love it. They're using an armor that's in pieces, right? Like it's not a whole mm-hmm. piece and he's in pieces. I, I love it. And they have the line, like I said, suit is not combat ready. And you get the sense like he's about to pull it off, right? Okay, that's one. That's two. And then he can't, right? Like he gets so far, mm-hmm. but he's not ready yet, you know? Because he's yeah. still, I mean, it's clever, right? The piano, I'm going to pull out it, the 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 little missile and, and do it that way. But it, it's still, he's not ready yet to make the full leap, right? He's still relying on the armor too much. Oh, and again, not to keep harping on it, but they do this wonderfully visually. Look at how Tony is saved ultimately. The piece of the armor comes off and pulls him out of the water. Yeah. Like, God, how could you not gush at this movie? I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's, and, he's drowning inside the armor. Like, how much more? <laughs> oh, my God. It's so visually resonant. I love it. But I was going to say, I'm not saying we're jumping into Act 2 yet, but, you know, Act 2, I think we're going to see is where we explore Tony outside of the suit. Everything so far in this first act has been a demonstration of how Tony has been handling problems with the suit and showing that it's not enough. And so having everything come to a close here where the suit, quote unquote, fails him, I think was a great way to tie this opener together. Yeah. Well, and that's why that's why for me that act two begins with this crash, you know, because we talked a little bit about mm-hmm. that. Does it begin with the crash? Does it begin when he shows up at the, the kid's garage, Harley's garage? For me, it's the crash because that's when Jarvis leaves him and Tony's truly alone and he's mm-hmm. dragging the suit behind him. And all you see is snow flurries and his arc reactor, mm-hmm. you know, and and it's cold, dark, just him. And he's dragging a lifeless suit, you know, and he's yeah. truly Jarvis is not even there. He's truly on his own. So to, you can't get much more bottom of the story circle than that. Right. Like and that's <laughs> and that's like you're you're truly now. Let's see what you can do. You know, is it you or the mm-hmm. suit? You know, playing off that, you're talking about where he's crash landed. He has nothing. We see that he eventually gets to Harley's garage. And, you know, I, again, I've, I've talked about this since the first one. I love how central the garage has become to his character. And I think it's very fitting that the place he breaks into is another garage. But on top of that, it's the garage of a young kid who also uses his inventions as a coping mechanism. Yeah. So you're seeing this kid represent the inner problems of Tony visually right there next to him. And even the way Tony treats him almost cold and, and like almost in a way no adult would ever talk to a kid. And I love it, but I also think it illustrates probably why this becomes a polarizing film for people. Mm-hmm. And so to, 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 to dive into that, I think this is the make or break point. You know, it, it feels like coincidences like this are so unlikely that it starts to break the realism. Right. But I'm all in favor of bending that level of scrutiny if it serves the narrative. And in my opinion, finding the garage, having the kid represent his inner issues is worth bending that scrutiny, at least for me. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's it's Tony's inner child, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it just is. Like, he knows. He's like, who is he? What's his name? What are you talking about? The bully. How'd you know? Well... Cause that's you, you know, that's, that, that's them. That's, you know, Tony's inner child. And so it's just so perfect. And I love the interaction between them because here Tony is referring to the suit as a person, you know, he's, he's like, it's completely separate from the suit. Yeah. He's beat up right now. Mm -hmm. He's hurting. Why would you do that to him? 
you don't hurt him more. <laughs> like you break it off the finger. Uh, don't worry, I'll fix him. Mm-hmm. So it's all that kind of language that truly is the suit is its own person. And right before they have that moment where he starts to refer to it as his own person, there's an exchange between Tony and Harley where Harley goes, is that Iron Man? And Tony goes, technically I am. And the kid goes, technically you're dead. Yeah. Beautiful. Like it's so like it's. Yeah. And, and from that point forward, that's where Tony starts referring to the suit as its own person. Because like you said, I wrote down the line. Tony goes, he's in pain. He's been injured. Leave him alone. Yeah. You know, and it, so is Tony. It's it's great. So and it's weird, and yeah. so like in that in that sense, like Tony's hurt, Tony's injured, he's alone, and so when he's saying he, like clearly the suit has its own is its own person, but in a way you can figure Tony's referring to himself as being hurt and injured. Uh, yeah, man, I just this this second act really drives home that that sense of loneliness, you know, or or that sense of the feeling of being alone that that Tony has again. I will say this because I, I do feel like I need to start calling out the things that I don't like just because it feels like I'm being fair. Something that I was trying really hard to reconcile is it feels off, or at least it feels to me that this movie didn't find a good enough reason to have Tony stranded. Again, that goes back to the whole bending the scrutiny. Yeah. But, you know, Tony makes that call to Pepper. It's like, hey, you know, I need to figure this out on my own. But honestly, I don't... I don't know if they found a good enough reason to keep Tony in the garage working on the suit without going back home. Like, this is modern day times. If Tony wanted to get back to his place, his home base, he could, but he's chosen to stay here. And again, I can look past it, but I totally get why that could be a breaking point for people. Yeah, I can, but I I feel like they solved that, though, because he was there for a reason. Like, he had a flight path for there anyways, right? Because mm-hmm. he wanted to investigate that explosion with a heat signature that matched the others. So yeah, he couldn't go back till he at least done that, you know? So, I mean, I mean, so I get what you're saying. Like he could choose to do that, but it made narrative sense as well that, Hey, I have to investigate this here before I go anywhere else. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'm feeling is because it, it's such a hard shift. If this whole first part of the movie is Tony feeling like he can't do it without his suit. If he hasn't learned anything yet, it feels like after the crash landing, the Tony we've grown to know in the movie so far, his first instinct would be to get back to his old suits to solve the problem instead of being like, okay, I'll solve the problem without the suit. Like, yes, this is what he needs to do because he needs to learn this lesson. It just, to me, I don't feel like it found enough reason why Tony would do that in this early learning those lesson. Right. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I guess my, just to push back on that, I would say, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, but, but I'm going to push back and just say, well, if, if we take that like his, if, if what he knows was his house was destroyed and, mm-hmm. and crumbled down, he doesn't know the condition of that. Um, we see some of his suits were exploded, right? And mm-hmm. that he saw that happen. So it's not so much a, a choice now to not go back as it's the only suit I have doesn't work. So I can't get back. Okay. Yeah, I like that read. I didn't. I guess I didn't give thought to the fact that he did watch his suits blow up. Um, okay. All right. You won me back over. I'm going to gush again. All right. Well, I mean, because you see that. You see that. <laughs> like he's hanging on. He sees those explosions of those of those suits, especially the first set, right, that he made before the rest of goes tumbling into the water. The rest of the house goes tumbling into the water. Mm-hmm. Continuing to gush on this movie, the way they did this next sequence. You know, and, and I don't have a whole lot of notes on it, actually, but it's just that they staged it fantastic. So you have Maya with Pepper driving in the car. 
and they're, you mm-hmm. know, Pepper's questioning. And Maya has the line, my boss, Killian, is working for the Mandarin. Mm-hmm. And then we get the next shot, it's Killian, and he says, the boss is coming. And he has that line, don't look at him in the eye or he'll shoot you in the face. And so, like, that sequencing reinforces that's the Mandarin. Aldridge is working for the Mandarin now, you know. So it's reinforcing all that iconography. But also, like, it should have clued us in, like, the stage production, like the level of video and audio equipment they had there to do the shots. It wasn't a crude setup. It was a Mm well-funded setup. And so there was another little hint in there that it's not quite what we think it is, but the way they edited it, the way they had the lines there just reinforced, you know, that, oh, this is the Mandarin, you Mm -hmm. know? And so I just, I love the way they, they, they just dug in to, to set up that twist. Yeah, and, and, and it's one of those scenes, we've talked about it before, how like once you have a revelation, rewatching it flips the script so wonderfully. Like you said the line, Killian said, don't look him in the eye unless you want to get shot in the face. You know, for the audience, it feels like, oh man, that's how dangerous the Mandarin is. But when the rewatch, you're just seeing that's how controlling and maniacal Killian is. Yeah. Like that's a threat for me. Like I'll shoot you in the face, not the Mandarin will, he will. Yeah, yeah it's a little corny when you know it because it's like, over-the-top villainy, but it works because we think it's coming from the Mandarin. Yeah. From there, the next scene that I really wanted to zone in on was uh, Tony and Harley are kind of out and about. They're investigating the scene of the original blast, uh, the one that he was specifically tipped off on to come to Tennessee, and Tony has his second panic attack of the film. And so, again, kind of coming back to how much I love them pairing Tony with this kid is... The way that this movie has demonstrated the pain Tony's in is that he's searching for answers. And, you know, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but nothing exemplifies worried internal dialogue like an inquisitive kid. <laughs> the way Harley just kept answering, yeah. asking question after question. Yeah, the rapid you know, fire. Yeah, and it's all heightened, too, by the fact that, you know, genuine, generally kids look towards adults for answers. Like, they are the bearer of all knowledge. And so the fact that Tony doesn't have any answers... It just keeps beating that anxiety harder. Like, you know, why don't you know this? You should know this. Like, I almost feel like Harley is the visual internal dialogue that Tony's having of like, yeah, why don't you know this? Yeah. You know what this, you know what this crater reminds me of? The wormhole. Like, that was so great. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so innocent, too, because like, what kid wouldn't be like, oh, that's so cool. But that's life or death for Tony. (laughs) No, you're right. It is. It is interesting. Again, you mentioned the whole... You know, okay, he's he's treating a kid this way, but really, it, like he sees himself in this kid. You know, and, and you, I think you hit mm-hmm. it just right of like that rapid fire questions. You know, what did I do? Especially when he had the panic attack. Oh, you did it. What did I do? What did I say? Like, as the, the adult me is like, you know what you did. You know what you said. He kept telling you to stop, <laughs> like, but you wouldn't stop. You know, <laughs> but to go back to it, that's that's a lot of the ways that anxiety works, right? Like, like mm-hmm. it, 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 once it gets going, it doesn't stop, right? And, it, and it's hard to make it stop. You know, this, this way, how are coping skills, you know, to, to hopefully head it off before it reaches that point. Um, but yeah, so like, mm-hmm. so it, it, it was really good to, to a way of like, how do you show this panic attack coming on? Well, we're going to do it here. And, and it was really good to do it that way. You know, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because you, you you touched on something about, again, you know, it is weird that Tony's so hard on this kid. And so I'm going to I'm going to jump ahead at this point. As much as I love this film, I will say 
it still irks me that Tony didn't drop the kid off at his mom at the because we're getting to the point where he has um, where he's finding out more information about the soldier that was exploded. Uh, he gets stopped by one of the extremists. Uh, agents and there's this whole action sequence and it finally ends where Tony's heading off and Harley wants a ride home and Tony won't give it to him and so you know I get that this movie is using the relationship as a visual metaphor but man you can only bend that scrutiny so far <laughs> like I don't like that they did that so is it bad that I remember laughing at that scene with my dad in the theater <laughs> <laughs> well I'll be fair I laughed at it it's really oh, okay, funny okay. but but it just like I went. Tony's a superhero, man. Take the kid to his home. Yeah, take him home. I get it. I get it. I get it. It's a small town. Yeah, it's a small. I'm town. sure it's not that far. <laughs> no, I get it. It it's, you know what? It's it's a hard line to walk. You know, um, I I do think overall they walked it very well. Um, but mm-hmm. but I I think you're right. If as much as we're gushing on this film, that is definitely an area where it's like okay. You know, let's let let's stop and think about this for a second. You know, it, it, it was that really the right thing to do? No, not at all. Well, I'll say this to show you how much I love this movie that I'm willing to go down this road. You could almost retroactively show that this is the precursor to how Tony handles his relationship as a mentor for when eventually he gets to the point with Peter. Obviously, he's failing here, and then we see how he grows into being a better mentor for Peter. If you want to go down that road, obviously they had no idea that that's what was to come. But right, yeah. So yeah, um, yeah. maybe, maybe I want to go down that road. <laughs> I I do think just looking at you know Spider Man Homecoming, I do think you see traces of what he learns in this film in that. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely do think that's the case. It'll be something we'll have to definitely examine when we get to Homecoming. So to continue with this, you know, you said he he defeated the extremists. Uh, agents? Is that what we're calling them? So, I, I had two little notes. A, this is the one part where for me, the movie was kind of, uh, just because it was a little too convenient. Like, he shows up to question the supposed suicide bomber, you know, and the bomb was already there ready with the file. You know, that, mm-hmm. that was a little too convenient for me. Uh, but what I do like about the sequence is there's two of them. He takes one out with ingenuity no stark tech that was a little kind of i I mean i took it to mean she was dead i don't remember seeing her again um i thought that Mm -hmm. was for you know her ability to regrow back stuff and what we to the extent we see it and with other people thought oh that was a little too easy did that really take her out kind of thing but you know i'll leave it there because the, the important part was to see that he did take one out without any stark tech and then Savin, mm-hmm. he had to use Stark Tech to take it out. And not just the little, uh, the bully protector from Harley, but he had his pulse reactor on his wrist. Yeah. So he's growing. He got somebody out without tech. The next one, he had to stop with tech. So I just liked how they showed incremental growth here. Mm-hmm. one step forward, one step back kind of situation. Yeah, I mean, what well, we mentioned, right? He's like inside the suit, but it's not fully functional. So he has, but he's still, so it's kind of his ingenuity, but he's using the suit. And then now we see that, and we see, and he sees that he's capable of doing it without the suit. Um, but he's not all the way there yet. And so he still has to use that one um, reactor 
uh, you know, that kind of up his sleeve. And so I, I just like the inter- incremental growth. So just kind of a brief overview of what's going on. In these next few scenes, we're going to have this big set piece where the Mandarin has a negotiation with the president about if the president doesn't call him, he's going to murder this guy. Uh, he ultimately does, which makes the president send Rhodey off on these missions to take down the Mandarin. Meanwhile, Tony gets in contact with a person named Gary, who he teams up with to get into War Machine's databases to find more concrete information on the Mandarin. I'm going to kind of, I, I feel like this sequence um, really does a lot to drive home some of the points Shane Black was trying to make with this film, right? One of the things I find fascinating is PG-13, so they didn't show the Mandarin shoot the guy, right? And Mm -hmm. so there's that element, but also now later knowing how much of it was staged, I do wonder, did he actually shoot him or not? I don't Mm -hmm. know if that was actually clear. It was just kind of implied. And so once I wrote that note down, I wrote down the question, if the president doesn't call, do they go ahead and go through it, like shoot him or fake it, fake the shot anyways? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I mean, clearly you have that to show, oh, I can manipulate the president. The president calls and I'm now shown that you willing to negotiate and I'm going to shoot the guy. OK, mm-hmm. but what if the president doesn't call? You know, what 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 like from a terrorist mindset, the Mandarin Aldridge Killings mindset, what do you do? What's your next move? Uh, you know, trying to get into the movie. But then my note after that, what I thought was interesting why I put this is like if that movie's made today, absolutely. They fake it. They fake the phone call. Mm hmm. You know, because nobody's going to know that the president didn't call. He didn't answer the phone. And and today, I think they lean into fake news and and play into that. As much as they use newsreel footage, as much as they use all of that stuff, I feel like they lean into that if the movie's being made today. Mm-hmm. And you you show the president not making the call, but the phone rings anyways. Because everybody watching is going to think the president actually called. Because like if I'm watching a, mm-hmm. in the bar... I just know the phone rings, right. you know, and and so I, I just found that a fascinating just kind of looking through that out, looking, looking at that. And just the years later, what my where my thought process goes into it um, when he meets with mm-hmm. Gary, there's a couple of other um, product placement things. You know, they see the Sun Oracle logo, but also underneath it that says X EXA data X2 eight. That's an actual machine mm-hmm. like we're watching it with my in the theater with my dad and he's leaning over. He's like, that's one of the database machines we use, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so that was kind of neat. But also when he logs, when, when he figures out its aim and he logs in using war machines thing, this is the second movie, Iron Man movie in a row where we get the government partners with villains for the weapons. You have Justin hammer. You have a partner with the aim, right? And this movie works even better because meanwhile, what's Rhodey doing? He's reinforcing that terroristic iconography. Look at the places he's going. Mm-hmm. Look at the the women all in the full hijabs. You know, like they're really reinforcing that terroristic iconography here. Yeah, I mean, because he even when he has that moment where he breaks in and he and he it finds it's just a bunch of women working with their uh, sewing machines. He says the line, "You're free now." If you weren't before. Right. So, right. you know, here he is in the suit. That's the the iconography of America. And it's in that ignorance of like, yeah, I guess I don't know. You, you know, he's jumping into this culture where he doesn't know, like, but he's already like bursted down the door. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Like he goes in there just assuming like, 
well, if you're not free, you are now, and mm-hmm. yay America, I just did that, you know? Yeah. But it's just interesting. <laughs> well, because, again, Go ahead. because the way you say, yay America, I just did that, look at what he does. He starts shaking hands like, you're welcome, thank you, yeah. yeah. And then that's where the moment he gets taken down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the hubris mm-hmm. takes him down. But yeah, it's it, like... America. <laughs> yeah, and I love the way they said that the whole time. But that whole sequencing of events before the twist reveal is all of this is reinforcing what we believe to be true. You know, the mm-hmm. you get the Mandarin video, he seems ruthless. You know, we discover it's, you know, AIM, and oh, we already know AIM with Aldridge Killian. So, like, we're putting all those pieces together, but everything's pushing us towards or reinforcing that that terroristic iconography before they flip it on its head. Yeah, that's all. I really love the way you put that all together. You know, you keep mentioning how we're getting to this reveal. Narratively, we have one pit stump to make before we get to that point, and I'm so glad that this movie took the time to do it. And specifically, it's in the scene where Pepper gets captured. You know, it's her and Maya, and you know, and Maya's opening up about the story about the scientist who builds rockets for the Nazis. He had all these aspirations of going to space, and the whole point of this is to illustrate how easy it is to get sidetracked in your ambitions, especially after it's already too late. And, you know, the whole theme of this movie has been we create our own demons. So to have this moment where Maya's opening up about the wrong that she's done, because obviously, you know, she's gone too far in her work, the uh, the Mandarin, uh, Killian has abused this work. And Pepper has always been the voice of reason. And again, to have her here say, you can't be too hard on yourself. That's such a wonderful antidote to what's been happening to our three central story figures, Tony, Killian, and Maya. Yeah. And again, I want because I feel like I need to emphasize this. It's not a, a, a blank check that like, OK, you know, you're forgiven. You have to worry about it. But yes, they've done wrong. But being so hard on themselves is not going to put them on the path to being better. Yeah, because it's it, it's it's almost like this repeating cycle where even the self-revelation that you're so far down the rabbit hole it spurs you to further action that you think is going to help you get out, but it only makes it so much worse. Right. Well, I, I like you said that because you feel like Maya has this moment of like, okay, yeah, like I did wrong. But then you quickly realize like her desire to make her scientific discovery or whatever work, you know, this, this ego is, is much stronger than being morally right. Mm-hmm. And and so Pepper feels like she's trying to pull her back from that. And then, you know, the scene ends with Killian coming in, causing that cycle to repeat, where it, it almost feels like we're seeing that turn in Maya, and then Killian reinforces all the bad, the, the ends justify the mean nature of one side of that we create our own demons. Yeah. Now, right here, what I do find interesting, um, in interviews, Rebecca Hall said that from what she was pitched to what ends up being in the final product, she was supposed to be even more of a villain than what she ended up playing. And that kind of got toned Mm -hmm. down. Hmm. And I think part of that was you're still at this time of Marvel. You know, this is pre-Age of Ultron. And... The, the issues they had, you know, Black Widow showing up in the toys with the Major Ultron and all that kind of stuff coming out. And so she was actually, I think, written into a bigger part as a villain that then got changed later, as I understand it. That's interesting. So now I think they made it work, you know, but just it's I'm curious as to when you see this, where that would have what that would have taken. 
So the the last pivotal moment we're going to talk about in this act is Tony's third and final panic attack. So I think you you illustrated wonderfully about how we're making in, incremental progress, right? You know, we saw that Tony had a panic attack when the kid brought up New York, but immediately after we saw that he was capable because he took out those extremist agents and it was fine. However, and this scene, once the kid brings up the idea that the suit isn't going to charge in time, Tony's safety net is completely gone, and he has another panic attack that causes him to pull over to the side of the road. So, you know, even though we've made this progress, we see that without his literal and figurative exoskeleton, Tony's still falling apart. And it's only being reminded again that, because the kid's like, you're a mechanic, why don't you just build something? And that's where Tony has the turn, and I think that's the moment where the lesson has been learned for Tony. Because we see his rise from this point here at the bottom of the story circle. Right. And so that's why, and we talked about this a little bit off podcast, where does Act 3 begin? And for me, this is very much where Act 3 begins because he does pop out on the other side, you know, and he Mm -hmm. calms down and the next thing we do, the, the beginning of the Act 3, he's shopping, right? And, and buying stuff. He's, he's building something, you know? And so in that, like, well, he had that final panic attack that that realization or that that coming to of oh i'll just build something else it's like yeah it's me i built the suits i can just build something new mm-hmm. you know and and to have that 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 breakthrough was just fantastic at this point and that he carries through the rest of the movie you know yeah. it, in a way it brings him back to the cave you know he has to build stuff with a box of scraps see what i did there like he told me to work it in. I did, but that's what he did, right? He had to like yes. go just take whatever he could find and build it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's my highlight, man. Um, you can finish yeah. the podcast on your own. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> you get to ride that energy all the way down to the end. <laughs> well, you said I got to work it oh, in on the third one, so I found a way to do it. I'm. I'm going to be completely honest. I forgot I said that. That this was pure joy on my part. I'm so glad you did. <laughs> Oh, man. But no, I, I think you're 100% right. You know, it's been so long since the cave, you know, this is this is Tony's wake up call. And it's like he can do this. But one of the, in the sake of fairness, I did want to say this. There is a part of me that feels like this revelation feels a little swift because like Tony's panicking and then the kid's like, well, why don't you just build something? And then Tony kind of like turns his head and he's like, yeah, I'll build something. Again, I said it before, mental health and anxiety is is already on its own such a huge subject that would be hard to tackle on its own, even harder in a superhero movie that's already handling a lot of other stuff. So I do feel it's swift, but again, I mean, it, I think it covers it well enough within the purposes of this movie's superhero narrative that I'm okay with it. But I, I wanted to, to at least call out how quickly that feels because it doesn't always work like that, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Because you can almost feel like it's kind of this utter undercutting of like, oh, yeah, I'll just I'm the mechanic. I know everything's solved now. Like, I wish there would have been more. I wish there would have been a better way for it. But honestly, like I said, there's there's so many things being tackled in this movie. I think that's the best way we're going to have it handled in this. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you mentioned that, you know, Tony goes on the shopping spree where he's buying all these things to build the things that he needs to infiltrate the man. I'm going to be, this is actually staying in the end. I'm going to be completely honest. I don't know if you've noticed within the episode, I've always been hesitant a little bit on the Mandarin. I can't tell you how many times I spelt out the Mandalorian in my notes instead of the Mandarin. (laughs) And it's been tripping me up all podcast. (laughs) I thought I was going to make it through, but I can't. That's funny. (laughs) 
<laughs> anyway, Tony's doing his best to infiltrate the Mandarin's base. And, you know, it's, I think we've already highlighted enough, like, Tony is showing how capable he is. And I, I really love the way the scene is. Like, he's throwing Christmas ornaments that are rigged to explode. Yeah. He's got, like, this nail gun that I think is... Because he builds, like, some sort of, like, concoction. So I don't think it's lethal, but it's, like, putting these people to sleep. Yeah, something, because um, there's that explosion, yeah. Yeah, it's just all these, like, homebrew ways that he's he's taking it on. It almost feels like what Tim the Toolman thought he was. <laughs> Tim the Toolman. Haven't thought about that in a long time. <laughs> it, it's so funny because he, he does it so well and so efficiently and so confidently, right? And he takes it all mm-hmm. the way, and, and we're finally here. He takes it all the way up to the Mandarin, and then the rungs pulled out from under him, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, like, in a weird way, while it's, and again, I know this isn't a popular twist for a lot of people. And I remember yeah. when I first, myself included, when I first saw it, I remember thinking, this is a ruse, right? Like, this is a trick on Tony. Mm-hmm. And then once it real, once it sunk in that it wasn't, man, I laughed so hard. Like, I, I loved it. But at the same time, mm-hmm. narratively speaking, it's like, and you think story circle, right? Like you got to face death and then you got to face it one more time kind of thing because it's about what you bring back. And he's not all the way there yet. He's close, right? We get him back to his roots. I'm going to build something and I'm going to do it out of this box of scraps kind of kind of thing, right? And, and he does it so well and so efficiently and he gets to the end, he gets to the big bad and it turns out, no, you didn't do it, you know? Um, and you get and you get caught doing it. So so that's the that's mm-hmm. the other thing that this twist serves. Right. It, it it still adds to the story, because let's be honest, like how unsatisfying would that be if that really was the Mandarin and there he, he solves it? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it just it just I don't think it'd be very satisfying narratively and for his character. Right. And so so it's actually served that purpose uh, for Stark. One hundred percent. I mean, because again, like throughout the entirety of this movie, we've seen Tony's anxieties have been, you know, it, it's been taking a backseat in lieu of tracking down the Mandarin. So instead of facing the problems that he's been having, the Mandarin took that 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 face of it. And so almost in that same false belief that if he can fix the Mandarin issue, then he can fix his own problems. But that's not the reality. It's not that simple because... Again, you know, so often with anxiety, the things that you're fixing, fixating on isn't the solution you needed after all. Yeah. So it's it's almost so aware of that problem that it, it uses that the the way that it manipulated the the terrorist iconography to to not only show the audience's bias, myself included, because I fell for it. I wanted the big head to head battle between the Mandarin that didn't exist. Yeah. And also Tony himself. It's genius. Yeah, it is. I love it. It is. <laughs> oh, man. So we're either convincing a lot of people and- or we're losing a lot of people at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we're convincing I hope people. We're, I hope, I, I do. I hope people go back and, and look at this with the, through this lens in a new light. And, you know, I, I'm, because again, I keep saying it, I am 100, I did not like this movie coming out of the theater. I was so upset because, like I said, I wanted that head-to-head fight. And finding out that the Mandarin wasn't who we thought he was was such a letdown. But something that, you know, again, Tony calls out that reporter in the beginning. Is this what you wanted? Are you happy? I am that person that he's calling out. And so to to come back all these years later and rewatch it, I'm, I'm what you said. I have a new lens, a new appreciation for it. And so I really... 
hope that there are people who, well, I don't hope that they did this, but if they wrote it off originally, that they come back to it and can have that same appreciation that I eventually found for this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, mm-hmm. It sounds like we're wrapping up the podcast. we got to finish the movie. We're not wrapping it up. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, anyways. So, yeah, you know, we're in the scene. We have the reveal. The Mandarin's not who he turns out to be. Uh, we have this huge action sequence between Tony and Extremis and the Extremis agents and, and Killian. And it all culminates to this scene where it's Tony, Maya, and Killian with Tony uh, being handcuffed. And to me, it's so fitting that it ends up with these three in a standoff because all three of them suffer from that same defect of fixating on their work. And so similar to how we talked about it in the Daredevil episode uh, where Matt and Fisk are essentially using Vladimir as their test subject, it almost feels like Tony and Killian are essentially fighting for the fate of Maya through their ideals. You know, Killian is so dead set in his work that it leads him to point blank murder Maya and then he leaves with the upper hand. And again, because Tony is well on his way to learning this lesson of self-forgiveness and, and not being so hard on himself with the demons that we create, it's again fitting that this battle takes place with only pieces of his armor because it shows that he can be successful with, without, or only parts of the suit because he is Iron Man. Because he's he's waiting on that suit to come from Harley and he's still making do. It doesn't matter because he's still capable. Oh yeah, like I, you're right. I'm- Yes, 100%. Because, like, this is an integration mm-hmm. of, you know, it's not the suit, it's me, and the suit enhances what I do. And you see that mm-hmm. by having yeah. one boot in one hand, and the other hand he has a gun, you know. And, mm-hmm. and, and so it's literally, like, not the suit, it's his skill against them. Um, and so, mm-hmm. so there, not only there does it come full circle, but... And in that way, when he does get the full suit, it still doesn't work. Like he tries to fly and he couldn't. And mm-hmm. when when they walk in with Rhodey and, and kind of use Iron Man as a distraction, you know, he has two jumper cables coming out of his chest and he's carrying like a car battery trying to charge it up more. Mm-hmm. You know, he truly it's mm-hmm. just it's on him, but it doesn't work still. Uh, but it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, he found a way to make it work through his own ingenuity. It all feels like moments where his panic attack should have come back into play because he's without his suit. But he still keeps pressing on because, again, lesson learned. Oh, yeah. Which that is a stretch because technically we did see him without a functioning suit handle the helicopters. But after everything that's happened in the middle, after having hit his lowest low, we've been conditioned to believe that he's going to hit those panic attacks when he doesn't have the safety net of his suit. But... He's still able to keep trudging along anyway. Yeah, but no, but see, go back to the helicopters. I think that's why it was important. And even in the dialogue, he had to say, "Okay, one down, two down." But he couldn't pull off the third. He wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. You know, like he had to, and and that's and that's the sequencing of of this and the and the brilliance of it is he gets the suit and you have that hero moment where now you see him and you know he's safe inside the crumbling house. Takes out one. That's one. Takes out two. That's two, and then. You're used to watching these movies. He's about to pull it off. Oh, crap, he didn't. And we got to strip him down completely to just him again and build him back up. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's and so and so like so that's where I think this is become satisfying of like of him using the suit here where it's like we he was able to pull it off this time with a with a suit that doesn't fully function and why he couldn't do it the last time. Because the last time it was still mm-hmm. an over-reliance on the suit. 
You know, I, I'll just peek ahead a little bit. It's not too much. I mean, we're getting to the scene, essentially the Air Force One rescue mission scene is, is going to be um, the next thing that we zone in on. And I think you're you're talking about it perfectly. It's this continuous challenge that Tony has to work with suits that aren't finished or in full power. You know, we've seen it in the first two movies, but here it's so much more resonant with the theme that it's been exploring within this movie that it just feels so much more exciting to see that he's accomplishing this. Yeah. Well, and not just that, he defeats Savin, right? He finally, the, the, the person yeah. he couldn't defeat in Tennessee, he defeats them. And then when you find out that he's not in the suit, right? Like he's, he, he's fully, you know, he, he's, he's ready, so to speak, to go into the final boss fight, so to speak, to use, I, I loved it. I noticed listening to the other episode, you'd say boss fight and it's just like that gaming lingo, lingo and language <laughs> coming in. But, but like, that's what he needed. It was like that, the second to last thing. Yeah. I couldn't defeat him here this time. I did it. But I wasn't in the suit. Like, it was important to see that he was separate from the suit. Yeah. I mean, it's it's Tony flexing all the different ways he can be Iron Man. It's thematically resonant with the journey. It's so good. Yeah. Now, I remember opening weekend. I saw that sequence in the trailers or whatever, um, YouTube. Uh-huh. And still, opening weekend, the, the audience cheering when they pulled off, you know, saving all of them. Um, just shows how well done it was. Because you know... Mm-hmm. That he's not going to, you know, they're not going to not have him pull it off. But just that they were able to do it in such a way that there was a question and the audience cheered. I thought it was great. Um, later, I found out it was actually a mix of practical and visual effects. Like they actually got a skydiving mm-hmm. team to do that. That's amazing. You know, and so to, to actually do the skydive and do the link up. Um, and so it was, it was practically shot and then some visual effects to add in the Iron Man and, and all of that, uh, which was, which was really, really cool. And then I remember thinking, oh damn, when he got hit by that 18 wheeler, like I didn't see that coming at all, <laughs> you know, but it was a great reveal to show that he wasn't in it. Right. And so like, well, two things, one, I wanted to touch on what you were saying, like, even though you knew Tony wasn't going to fail we've talked about this before. That's when you know you have good writing. Intellectually, we know Tony's not going to fail, but emotionally, it's so well done that we think it's possible that he could. Yeah. And that's that's what makes that scene so exciting. Yeah. And I'll say this, in the entirety of the Iron Man trilogy, this is the most exciting scene, I think, to, for me personally. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's a scene that I want to keep keep in mind as I try and rank overall MCU best action sequences. Oh, Yeah. I don't know quite where it falls in the MCU, but I know at least in the trilogy, it's the best one. Dude, ta- okay, and, okay. We have we have a episode idea at some oh point. Oh, man. Yeah. We need to write that down. But no, so going going back to what- Go ahead. I'm, going back go to ahead. What I'm just typing about, it in under our little, little outline here. <laughs> going back into this topic about Tony not being in the suit, I hated that. Specifically because if I go back to where I was feeling, like we just came off this point where the Mandarin's not who we thought he was, it was a joke, and then you have this amazing sequence, and then Tony's not in the suit. And so I was so disappointed by that because it was just this like disjointed feeling of like, come on, stop, you know, jerking us around. But it wasn't until coming back to it that I realized how wonderful it is because, like I said, it's him flexing. It doesn't matter if he's in the suit or not. It's Tony being a hero. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I like the I like the term the that he's he's flexing 100%. Yeah. 
So from there, I think that's going to bring us to the, the last action piece, which is everything that takes place during the shipping scene where, you know, the president's captured, uh, Pepper's captured as well. Rhodey and Tony show up and that whole, basically the whole end of the movie kicks off. Right. And I'm just going to outright concede. For me, thematically, it does feel like it gets a little bit off track here, specifically because the solution to the conflict ends up being all the suits that Tony built. Yeah. And so it's almost proving the case that he did need them after all. Well, see, I'm not going to go. I think it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your thought. And I'll. I'll say this and then you can you can you can have your rebuttal. I do think it redeems itself a little bit due to the fragility of the suits, but I don't think that was purposeful. I think that is an unintended consequence. I think because I, the reason why I didn't see it as he needed the suits in the end anyways was because mm-hmm. he was going in and out of suits. Yes. And the way he'd like oh eject and pop out and and just the 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 way he used them was different because it was less of I'm relying on this suit as much as I need it to enhance what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I, it, this suit gives me the weapons, but because it's me doing it and not the suit, it doesn't matter what suit I'm in and you can interchange right. in any of them, you know? And so, so that's what, that's why I didn't necessarily take it that way. It's one of those things where, it's it is a Marvel action film. Like you almost have to have your big spectacle. Like I don't know how you end this movie without that. So and I do forgive it because like that. I mean, you you basically explain what I mean by the whole fragility of the suit. The fact that he was going in and out of the different ones. It does show that ingenuity. But it just I don't know. It did feel a little bit much. Yeah. Well, um, like you said, it was first figure. What did it follow? The Avengers, you know, and when you look at what it followed in terms of Iron Man 2 and it needed a big set piece and that was its big set piece. So in that way, I get it. Like it, it was like, okay, that was over the top, but you see that sometimes of this feeling of like, okay, what do I got to do next to make it even bigger and better? You know? Right. So, so again, we're here in this, this final climatic scene where, uh, finally Tony and Killian face off and, one of the things I liked is that Tony's final line towards Killian is she was already perfect. And then he uses the suit that he also used to protect Pepper to trap Killian and then explode it. And the reason I like this so much is the whole driving force of Tony's manic behavior is that he's desperately trying to protect Pepper. And to have him say she was already perfect is almost this realization of like, okay, I was being too overbearing. Almost... I know this is weird because they're in a romantic relationship, but almost like that overbearing parent protective feeling, like that's what he was doing to her Mm -hmm. and realizing that he didn't need to do that and he used that flip to kill, to take care of Killian. I thought that was just a really nice moment. It was. That is a really nice moment. Uh, What I liked about that that moment is, you know, he has a line, oh, the prodigal son returns and... And the, the, <laughs> the armor's flying in and he has his hand out and you're like expecting from what he's been doing, right? You're expecting like this thing to go around him and it collapses right in front of him. But his response, uh, whatever, like, like that would have mm-hmm. earlier in the film that induces an anxiety attack. Right. And uh-huh. it ends up being no big deal. Uh, he stalls. You have that moment there, but then he uses the suit in a, in a creative way as the weapon itself, right? Like he puts it on Killian and has it blow up, 
you know. So, like, he still uses the suit, but he doesn't have to be in it. Mm-hmm. So I, I loved that. Um, now, having said that, I really wish that was the end. I didn't like yeah. him coming back. I, I get that they had to come back because how do you get Pepper back, if that makes sense? Yeah. Like, you have to have Pepper resurrect. And, okay, so you might as well do something with that. Like, it doesn't make sense to have her resurrect because of the extremists. And then they have the exchange and he just fixes it, you know? She learns something as well. Like, oh, I don't want to give up this power. I can see how you wouldn't want to give up this power. So, like, like I get that. But it, it just... I don't know. It did that ending didn't sit well with me. Part of it was I think part of it also just this last thought was that if him being in the Iron Man suit and exploding wasn't enough, like he was able to regrow back from that, why wasn't he able to regrow back from when Pepper blew him up with uh basically the same maneuver he did to destroy the second helicopter, right? Throw a missile right. from the suit and shoot it with his pulse reactor from the from the hand like mm. like he doesn't come back from that but can come back from the other one like like so it just it just didn't sit well with me in the and and the first time using the suit was more satisfying because it closed off a really nicely rounded out story you know the story arc for tony yeah i can see that and again the whole like well if the first one didn't kill him, why would the second one not kill him? It goes back to that idea of like, you can bend scrutiny if it makes sense. Pepper's whole little thing right here doesn't make sense only because it's not something they explored with her character. And so it feels like this this weird added on bit. It could have been a great storyline, but it's just it's just tacked on, if that that makes sense. I, I think, you like you said, like to get her back from the dead is this little tacked on piece of narrative. Right. Now, I mean, it was mm-hmm. cool. Like, it was good to see Pepper fight. You, you know what I mean? In that, it just, it just wasn't as satisfying as, as when Stark did it, narratively speaking for me. They needed to do a lot more work leading up to this moment. Because, I mean, yeah, as long as Pepper's been in the MCU, she's deserved a cool moment like this. They just haven't taken the time to do it. Yeah. I feel like she got that moment and actually it was earned in Endgame. And yep. it just didn't feel that way here. You know, all this ends with Tony blowing up all his suits. And this is something that I definitely wanted to tackle because there's a line where Pepper and Tony are going back and forth. And Tony says something like he's going to do better. And, and Pepper says like, oh, you mean all your distractions? And Tony goes, yeah, I'm going to shave them down a little bit. And to me, this line is so important because I think a lot of people misinterpret Tony blowing up the suits as him giving up being Iron Man. But the I'm going to shave them down a little bit is so crucial to understanding that that isn't the point of the movie. The point is that Tony doesn't have to fixate so hard on having a suit for every situation. He doesn't need a suit at all to be the hero he is. He just needs to be confident in himself, which is what he's learned by this end. I admit, I missed that point too. Doing the rewatches for this, I catch that line and I'm like, oh, okay. Like when I first saw it, I was like, he just blew up all his suits, you know? And so like my first time to ever see it, I missed that point as well, you know? Um, and, mm-hmm. and so it's it's well, easy to miss. Well, they have this back-to-back punch where, actually back-to-back-to-back punch where, you know, he blows up the suits. They have the epilogue where they remove the arc. Then he has it where he throws the arc out into the ocean. And so in the heat of everything, because they do a lot of exposition at the end here, out of everything that's going on, it's kind of, you could walk away with that sense of like, oh my God, he's giving up being Iron Man. But it, to me, it's the arc 
at least with the arc reactor, the removal is so key to the final punctuation of his journey because he's had it since the first film. And it's almost kind of a great call out on himself because Tony is smart. You know, if he wanted, he probably could have found a solution to this ailment before, but he wasn't ready to move on yet. And now that he's gotten to this self-actualized confident point, he doesn't need the arc reactor. And he sums it up perfectly with the final line. You can take away my house, all my tricks and toys. One thing you can't take away, I am Iron Man. Right. Okay, so here's, here's what I thought. I loved how you ended that just there, right? Like, I, I agree with all of that. I think the MCU is a problem. And, and <laughs> I mean, but what I mean by that is if this is just a trilogy, right, without the MCU, mm-hmm. that is a very satisfying end to a set to a trilogy in a franchise. And mm-hmm. I think that reaction is like, wait a minute, what about Avengers 2? What about all these things? And we want to see more, you know, but if you didn't have the MCU and it's just like the Nolan Batman trilogy. This was a really satisfying ending if this is just an Iron Man trilogy. And you get the feeling like they weren't sure if Iron Man's coming back. Although, it, you know, there is an in-credit tag that says Tony Stark will return. Because mm-hmm. he's clearly not coming back in a solo film. And they knew that because they were showing clips or images in the in-credits from all three Iron Man movies. So, so they were mm-hmm. very aware that this was the last solo Iron Man movie. And, and which makes all that ending and wrapping up all of that stuff important. You know, it is interesting. Yeah. The doctor that removed it was the Dr. Wu, the cardiologist he met back in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Um, I never noticed that before until this rewatch. And I did want to ask you. Didn't notice it until you just said. <laughs> and well, because I was wondering, it's like, oh, when I was watching, it was like my one of my notes and I ended up scratching it out was in Switzerland. It's like, oh, they need to bring this doctor back, you know. Just like MCU excited connective tissue, and I see him at the end. I was like, "Oh, they did," but he but he was like putting on his mask, so it's really quick. You, you couldn't really catch it. But I did want to ask. I forgot that he said that line at the end of this movie. Do you think that diminishes him saying that at the end of Endgame? I'd be lying if I said that didn't cross my mind. Because that's basically three times now that we've had the I am Iron Man line. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't Tony's last film in Endgame, I would say yes. It diminishes it. But it's like they knew that this is it, obviously, because Tony dies in Endgame. So it feels less of a retreading ground they've already done and more yeah. so as an, uh, like an homage to, to everything Tony Okay, is. okay. And that could just be me being an apologist. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I think I think that's a great answer. I mean, because there's so much, you know. I mean, our in-game review is probably going to be like two episodes, um, and it has to be. This one has been our longest so far. Yeah, and it's and there's so much fan service, and that was such a perfect way to end it. And I wouldn't change any of that for the world. But I'll be honest, I forgot he said that line in Iron Man three, and so that was my thought: is like, oh man, he's already done that at the end of a movie. Um. Okay, um, but I don't. I don't think it uh, because it's closing that the arc of the movie. It's wrapping up a, a solo franchise. I, I think it still works. Well, that's gonna do it for our full Iron Man three review. You know, normally I ask if you have any overall thoughts, but it feels hard. <laughs> I feel like we know the answer. Yeah. Do you have any overall thoughts? Uh, I, I would just say, I got ahead of myself, and I'll say this again, and I think you echoed it. 
I feel like this is an underrated movie, and I hope that people will go give this another shot. Right. Um, yeah. Also, I hope through the lens of what we were talking about, um, if not just that taking this, you know, terroristic iconography and then making it domestic terrorism, you know, through that lens, but through that lens of PTSD and anxiety, um, especially within the past, what, four or five years, this, this heightened awareness in society now of mental health, right. And self-care, um, and to see Mm -hmm. that through this lens and, and what Tony's going through. Um, I hope people go back and give this a chance. Me too. So what about you? Final thoughts? I mean, this is my favorite Iron Man film, and I think the most important film in the Infinity Gauntlet saga because of the way it propels Tony all the way to Endgame. Yeah. And I think why it's so strong is because it's aware of all of Tony's deficiencies and explores them in the way that none of the other movies have so far. And through using the lens of anxiety, you know, the duality of the man in the suit and pairing with the kid, it helped illustrate all the struggles Tony was going through. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's not without its fault, but in my opinion, it accomplishes the goal it set out to do and prove that Tony's more than the suit. And it's it does it with flying colors. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Man, this feels so good after how hard we were on our hands. I, I know, I know, I know. But, but we're not over yet. They're not over yet. So, uh, of course, we do have our question of the week. So, Jude. Do you have a favorite Iron Man suit-up scene throughout the entirety of the MCU, not just the trilogy? Okay. Yes. Um, I have two. And All right. See you next week, everybody. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like, subscribe now. Um, so, yeah, I have two. Uh, from uh, Strangely enough, from Iron Man 2, the suitcase one, I just... I, yeah. I just... I don't know. I... I it's funny because like in a weird way, like you look at the Avengers when he does the little skydive thing and that pod goes and it connects to his wrist, you know, and comes around him. And even some of the suit ups in Iron Man three, he just feels more elegant. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the whole, the way he, you know, put the gloves on, put out his hands and they, you know, sur- surrounded him. I liked the silver Centurion look, that that red and silver look. So that one is my favorite. Um, I'm going to ask you, yeah. what is your favorite before I give my second? What's your favorite? It's right there with you. Uh, it's, nice. it's hard. It's it's hard to pick another moment as badass. I have no other way to describe it as the suitcase scene. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm glad we're, we're meeting here in the middle of our answers because I do have backup ones too. But before I get to mine, what's yours? Okay. Mine is actually not a suit up. It's a suit down when he takes it off in Avengers. Uh-huh. When he lands on the tower and is taking it off walking. Yeah. That's, that's an amazing scene. That's my second. Because I still... Like, like as you go through it and you get into in Endgame, Infinity War, Civil War, Iron Man 2, like, it gets more intricate. But I still mm-hmm. like in that where it has the the spinning rings and all that because it still gives those suits some weight and some bulk, you know, and, and the fact that mm-hmm. it's in pieces and it has to be taken apart, you know. And you go from Iron Man 1 where, like, he gets struggling ah this hurts and, and he, like you put it on so well and he's like i can't get it and and you know and, it, and struggling to the to the point where he can just walk and it naturally comes off of him 
you know, in, yeah. the, in the same in the same way in those pieces. So that's uh, so that's my second favorite. What about you? What's your second favorite? It never ceases to amaze me how in sync we are. Really, in 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 sync and almost what's the word I'm looking for? Like, because it's not exactly, but mine is in the Avengers as well. It's the opposite of where he's jumping off the ledge. And he has the bracelets that call the suits to him yeah. after his little meeting with Loki. And the reason why I feel like it feels like we're in sync is because the reason I like that is the same reason that you liked the taking the suit off, which is the demonstration of the way Tony continuously iterates on the suits. So when he's jumping over that scene and we see that the, the suit is synced to his cuffs, mm -hmm. that's the precursor to what we see him working on in Iron Man 3. Yeah. And you can track the iteration of all of Tony's suits from the beginning to the end in Endgame. Yeah. And so that's why I really like that scene so much in the Avengers where he's jumping off and it's it, it clings to his wrist. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, do you have, dare I ask, a least favorite? Least favorite? Dare I ask this? Uh, I'll say any of the nanotech ones. Okay. Not because I don't think it's cool. But because I missed the weight. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So mine is in Civil War when he puts like his finger in the cigarette lighter and kind of lays uh, back. Why don't you like that one? Uh, I think it kind of like what you said. The weight. It's like, like it, like it, it just. It's almost like it went too far of this idea of like, like really, you put your finger in a cigarette lighter and the whole suit like came out of that onto you. Yeah. And at least in Infinity War, when he tapped it, there was like an origination out of the 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 housing, you know, and then they mm -hmm. also explained it. Oh, it's nanotech, you know, and so and so it just that one is the one where it was just like, uh, yeah, yeah, it just that one yeah. didn't work for me. I can see that. Yeah. So and I think that was the only suit up in Civil War. Uh, I think you're right. I think he's always in the suit. Or not in the suit because it's not needed in the suit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Guess we'll have to rewatch Civil War to find out. All right. Well, <laughs> add that to the list. <laughs> but of course, uh, what about you? Uh, if you have any thoughts on Iron Man 3 or if you'd like to answer the question of the week as well, you can always reach us at MCU Need to Know on Twitter and Instagram. Or if you'd like to write us an email, you can write us at mcuneedtoknow at gmail.com. And if you like what you're listening to, uh, go ahead and subscribe, share with a friend, and leave us a rating and review. Or the feedback is tremendous help for us. Yeah. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Nick Sandy for the use of the theme song, which is his rendition of the Avengers theme. If you'd like to find more of his work, you can find it linked in the SoundCloud in the description. All right, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much for doing this, Jude. Thank you, Trey. We'll see you all next week. Okay. Ready? Yeah, you didn't the last time. <laughs> I don't think you said ready or like stopped and like slowed down. Uh -huh. like, it was the moment of silence like we normally do. Uh-huh. And like I didn't even hit my timer right away cuz like like you just like I felt like you just jumped into it. it was that like, was oh, the meta episode, right? <laughs> I was like, "Oh, we're going." <laughs> I know. Oh man, no, I'm so no, glad no, that no. made it. In. I'm saying the one we just recorded. I gave a long pause. <laughs> the honorary MCU is like, "Oh, we're going now, I guess." Okay. All right, I'll be better about making sure I say ready. <laughs> okay. oh my I'm ready.
That honestly felt like the same tone that Tony had with Pepper and the Strawberries. I knew there was some correlation. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You ready? Yeah. 